0: The recent war in Ukraine, Russia's overtures towards North Korea, and North Korea's emergence from the COVID-19 pandemic all signal a sea change for the DPRK's place in the international system. In a video published October 26, 2023, KEI economic policy analyst Tom Ramage sat down with University of London School of Oriental and African Studies, professorial research associate, and North Korea expert Hazel Smith to discuss the recent Putin-Kim summit, alleged North Korean munitions to Russia, the effect of sanctions on North Korean denuclearization, and the priorities they will all take within Washington and Seoul's responses to increasing conflicts abroad. Hello, Uh, my name is Tom Ramage. I'm an economic policy analyst at the Korea Economic Institute of America. And today we are joined by Professor Hazel Smith, who is a professorial research associate in Korean studies at the School of Oriental and African Studies at the University of London. She is also a professor emerita in international security at Cranfield University in the United Kingdom. In addition, she is an advisory fellow to the Korea Development Institute in Seoul. Uh, Professor Smith is here to speak with us today about recent developments in North Korea and what we know and what we don't know about North Korea. Professor Smith received her PhD in international relations from the London School of Economics in 1993, has held fellowships at the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars, the East-West Center in Honolulu, Kyushu University, the United States Institute of Peace, and Stanford University, where she received a Fulbright Award. Professor Smith has researched East Asian security and North Korea for over 30 years. During that time, Professor Smith lived and worked in North Korea for two years while working for United Nations humanitarian organizations and earning a still valid North Korean driver's license. Uh, her, Her publications include The Ethics of United Nations Sanctions on North Korea, North Korea Markets and Military Rule, Nutrition and Health in North Korea, What's New, What's Changed, and Why It Matters, Crimes Against Humanity, Unpacking the North Korean Human Rights Debate. Reframing North Korean Human Rights, and North Korea in the New World Order. Uh, Professor Smith, uh, a lot of people are g- paying attention to the recent Putin-Kim summit, uh, which took place at the Vostochny Cosmodrome uh, in Russia. And uh, my first question for you, uh, I guess, would be, what is the significance of this recent summit, and especially it taking place at a spaceport?
1: Well, first of all, I'd like to thank KEI for inviting me here today. I'm very grateful for that. In terms of the recent um, Putin-Kim uh, summit, it comes uh, on behind another Kim-Putin uh, summit in 2019. Uh, your, your, your viewers will know that North Korea closed its borders in 2020 because of COVID restrictions and has just recently started reopening them. Um, and so this is one of um, the first forays into opening by Kim since the COVID closure. But meeting with Putin in the Vladivostok area, which is where the airdrum is that you mentioned, um, does follow on a previous meeting in 2019. So it's it's not uh, unusual of itself in terms of North Korea-Russia relations. Uh, The area that Kim traveled to, the northern border of North Korea, is only about 100 miles from that area. So it was fairly straightforward for Kim to go. It wasn't, in other words, a massive new outreach for Kim. It was significant, though, because in the changing international relations of East Asia, uh, with Russia trying to become closer to China, uh, with increasing tensions between Russia and the United States, and with China somewhere involved in the middle. It shows North Korea firmly trying to uh, obtain Russia's support, uh, probably mostly for grain and extra oil. Um, There has been rumours, as you know, that uh, North Korea has been trying to swap some of its conventional munitions, which it it develops. It's got its own munitions factories in the north of the country, uh, probably for food. We don't know for definite if that has happened, because if to do so would be for it would mean that Russia would be breaking the international sanctions regime. And so far, Russia has not decided to definitively break with the UN sanctions regime on North Korea, although it has criticized the sanctions regime. Um, so it was significant in that it showed the this maintenance of the relationship between the DPRK North Korea and Russia. Uh, In a sense, the fact that uh, Kim went outside uh, North Korea shows the urgent need by North Korea for Russian support. North Korea has had a lot of support from China. Russia has promised support in the past, but it hasn't been a munificent supporter of North Korea, either in terms of food uh, or or other technological support. It's a bit too early to tell uh, whether there has been a, a Well, where we can, it's a bit too early to tell if we can definitively say that there was an arms deal that took place, maybe swapping munitions for grain. Although the fact that the Russian Minister of Defence, Mr Shoigu, was also in North Korea a few few months prior to the Putin Kim meetings means that there must have been some defence discussions going on. The logical discussion would be in terms of import export. Uh, relationships between the two in the military sector.
0: Mm. Yes. Uh, and it's correct also to say that uh, there have been reports, uh, apparently, of, of Putin offering to give technical and technological assistance to North Korea um, in light of this meeting. Uh, and, and you're correct, w- without mentions to grain or munitions assistance. Um, was it a tacit signal in any way, the fact that it took place at uh, this Cosmodrome spaceport or anything relating to ICBM development, for example, or might it be too early to say?
1: I think the main, uh, the main issue is that A, it was near. Sometimes the simplest explanations are the, are the best ones. It was very easy for Kim to get to that area, which has got Korean speakers in the area and is quite remote. Putin was going to be there. President Putin was going to be there anyway for an economic, uh, for an economic meeting involving uh, traders with the Far East. So it was easy to get there. Um, there is no indication. The 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 largest indication that there was going to be some form of a military relationship discussed was the fact that Kim was accompanied by some of his military leadership. The fact that Mr. Shoigu had been in before that, the fact that it was on an airdrome um, doesn't uh, honestly tell you anything about the direction of travel for Russian policy in particular towards North Korea. And one of the reasons it doesn't is because that Russia and the Soviet Union before it was historically very reluctant to transfer advanced technology, including advanced military technology to North Korea. And we haven't seen indications that that policy has changed. Uh, Also, we know that for North Korea, probably the priority in terms of obtaining support, the immediate priority is grain, because we do know that there are enormous food shortages in North Korea. And those food shortages affect North Korea's military, which has nearly a million young people in arms, and they can't be fed from current food production in North Korea. We know at that economic meeting uh, that Mr. Putin was at in Vladivostok, that there were big Russian agricultural exporting enterprises there. So it would also have been a good place uh, for Kim's entourage to discuss whatever sorts of swaps that they were engaged in. Uh, but I do not think, of course, we, we it's too early to tell in some ways, that meeting at the at the base suggested anything other than there. there is a form of military discussion going on between their generals, which we would expect anyway. This, this is what the, the, the Russians uh, and the North Koreans do anyway. They're, they're both, uh, Russia increasingly, North Korea always highly militarized societies. Uh, the military in North Korea is hand in hand, if not synonymous with the political
0: leadership. <clears throat> um. I'd like to turn the attention to this food shortage in North Korea. Um, We might say that there's still a national crisis in terms of food production in North Korea. Uh, How in any way did this uh, result from North Korea emerging from the COVID crisis? Uh, How did COVID impact uh, food production in North Korea and uh, their continued shortages of food?
1: I'm afraid there's a bit of a long answer to that. I'm sure most of your uh, of your viewers will know that there was a famine in North Korea in the 1990s. Uh, best estimates are from the U.S. Census Bureau, which has some of the best work on North Korea's demography, that probably up to about 500,000. Uh, the horrible word that's used, excess deaths, took place because of this food shortages. Now, in the post-famine years of the 2000s, North Korea North Korea's food production recovered. Uh, Fairly substantially, UN organizations worked, like the Food and Agriculture Organization, World Food Programme, worked with the North Korean government. After the immediate post-famine assistance, they didn't supply much food aid after 2001, uh, but the North Korean government prioritized uh, the food sector. Food production recovered, and the reason that's important in North Korea is because most of the 26 million population in North Korea obtained their food from local food production, not from imports. Many countries it's, it's different from that, but in North Korea, because of this historic uh, never attained but aspiration for food self-sufficiency, local food production uh, is 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 supposed to be the main source of food for North Koreans in case there's a war and they have to depend upon their own local food production. At the same time, in the after the famine years, we saw the development of marketization semi-legal marketization, which meant that people were getting food from imports, from uh, which were coming in through the markets, mainly from Chinese traders. So there were imports coming in, very difficult to, uh, to measure them because a lot of them were through very, very gray area trading. So f- from both marketization, from gray area trading, from increases in food production, we saw North Korea's domestic food production uh, rise again between the mid 2000s up until 2016 so that we know from, from the UN statistics, which are pretty good up until then, uh, that North Korea had a very low food import requirement. It was something like half a million tons a year, which was achievable by then. Then we see expanded UN sanctions in 2016 and 2017. By expanded UN sanctions we mean that they moved from being targeted sanctions, that so were targeted at individuals, institutions, commodities directly tied, to North Korea's nuclear sector, in 2016 and 2017, they moved to economy-wide sanctions with no um, carve-outs for, say, the food sector or agriculture or health sector. Um, So what happens is, and the food sector in North Korea is about a third of the overall uh, economic structure, is that in the harvest in 2018, when, when the big of these big expanded sanctions work through uh, diminishes very, very rapidly so that the North Koreans face um, very big food shortages. We think that President Xi visited North Korea in 2019. We haven't got definitive accounts, but we've got enough accounts to know that China probably provided quite large food aid uh, in 2019 and 2020. But not in 2021, um, and some in, some food aid in 2022 and 2023. Uh, what that's what all of that means is that local food production wasn't enough from 2018 wasn't enough to feed the population. If everything had been shared out equitably, and it never is in any society, uh, and everybody had been given enough food to to survive every day of the 26 million population, only two thirds of the population could have been fed. So. To make up that, food doesn't come just from nowhere, it comes from imports. If it's not local food production, you would have had to see imports. Now, the COVID closures started in 2020. By 2020, you'd already seen exports fall off a cliff because of sanctions and imports also deteriorating, though not as much as exports, because obviously not export earnings. COVID closures then stop uh, put a further inhibition on imports after 2020, and we do have reports that food coming into North Korea in, 2000, in 2021, maybe even late 2020, was being stopped at the China border on the China side and not allowed to come in because of quarantine measures. So clearly that would have had a major impact on because there were already food shortages. 2022, late last year, the border starts to open up a little bit, and then more this year in 2023. So there will be more imports coming in, more food imports. But the major issue underlying everything is that the economy has tanked uh, since 2018. The sanctions, UN sanctions, according to the US State Department, have hit 97% of North Korea's exports, 97%, which means no export earnings. And key imports, which are important for food production, are not allowed in anything containing metal any vehicles tractors spare parts and all that into the country because of bans so all that will have will has had the result in that food production has remained depressed um, in terms of whether those food shortages are going to be now made up by uh, gray area marketization it's a bit too early to tell. Uh, Russia has uh, has indicated that it will give some grain support to the North Koreans. But historically, whenever it's promised grain, it's never been as much as, say, the Chinese has given in the past. We do have sporadic reports of starvation over the last four years. Not widespread starvation everywhere, as we saw in the 1990s. But enough credible reports even though we haven't had international officials in North Korea since 2020 to make us worried, especially about the poorest, uh, the vulnerable, young children, people who live in remote areas. Um, We have to remember that according to the UN, um, North Korea is the 15th poorest country in the world according to GDP per capita uh, out of 216 countries and territories. So when you're talking about a flailing economy with no oil of its own, which needs oil for agricultural production, as farming does everywhere in the world, uh, and with a government that is incapable of uh, resolving that uh, those problems, either politically or militarily or economically for its people, we have to think that for some of the population in North Korea, particularly for children, there are 8 million children under 18, life is pretty dire. Life is pretty dire right now.
0: So uh, under Resolution 2375, uh, back in 2017, there were sanctions on North Korea's access to crude oil. Sanctions have not achieved denuclearization for North Korea. Um, What will the impact of any additional sanctions be on North Korea, given the fact that uh, the missile launches are continuing? and especially in the context of a uh, tightening Russia, North Korea, China grouping?
1: Well, that's a a really good question because um, even from the Department of State handouts uh, over the 2016 and 17 sanctions, um, they were saying that exports, nearly all North Korea's exports, 97% had been sanctioned. So there's not much further to go on that. Um, All key imports have been sanctioned, i.e. banned. Oil, the oil sanctions on North Korea restrict oil. Crude oil is about, is, um, it's not really the issue. It is an issue in a way, but North Korea's only oil refinery, which you, uh, is not really working very well. So the sanctions on refined oil, which include, include things like diesel, uh, which you need for vehicles, for transport, for agriculture, not just for transport, but also for drying crops to avoid wastage, These these are the ones that have the biggest impact. Now, clearly, there's smuggling going on. We know that there's smuggling going on. Uh, Hard to think that the amount smuggled uh, could uh, allow for uh, could make up for the needs of the economy. Um, So, if the US was and it did try to propose a cutback recently, which China and Russia didn't accept. Uh, in the restrictions on refined oil going in a cutback, making the making the cap even lower, hard to think that China and Russia would would go along with that. And one of the reasons is the practical reason is that they will have to cope. They're the only ones that are likely to be able to cope with dealing with economic refugees, uh, which which or providing food support because nobody else is likely to do it. So if you cut back oil even further, and as I said earlier, all agriculture in every country in the world relies on oil, and then inevitably that makes the food crisis worse. So hard to think that sanctions on their own, because everything's practically everything is sanctioned, North Korea is the most sanctioned country in the world, uh, are going to make much difference in terms of providing incentives for North Korea to get itself involved in denuclearization. Uh, and also, um, it's hard to think that Russia and China, who must be brought into the process as part of the UN Security Council, um, are going to find uh, much common ground with the other members of the Permanent Five, the US, the UK, and France, uh, to just go ahead on a sanctions path without some form of diplomacy taking place at the same time. And you do need to have unanimity between the Permanent Five in order to have UN sanctions. Of course, you can have bilateral sanctions on North Korea and the US has bilateral sanctions, but it's the UN sanctions that make the most impact uh, on North North Korea. So hard to think anything other than stalemate in the future. And of course, we've got military escalation going on. Uh, In North Korea, we have the acceleration of its missile program. Uh, We've probably only not seen another nuclear test because of China would be very unhappy if that happened. And China is providing some support, economic support for North Korea. So that enabled, that provides some break on North Korea's nuclear development, but not on the missile development. And at the same time, we have in South Korea, since President Yoon came to power, you've had continuous military exercises involving the US and now Japan, on air, on ground, in the sea. And while that makes perfect sense for South Korea to be security conscious, it also provides a framework for the North Koreans to say to themselves, right, we are going to develop our military arsenal. And in their case, because they no longer rely on the loyalty and efficiency of their conscripts, uh, that means for them focusing even more on nuclear weapons and nuclear weapons development. The North Korean relies on its conscript army of about 700,000. They're very poorly fed. They're poorly motivated. North Koreans do not think that their army would be, uh, the assessment is that they, their army could not necessarily be relied upon. This goes back to their judgment from the Iraq war way back in early 2000s when um, the the the, Iraq, the Iraqi government, Saddam Hussein, thought that they were going to develop, going to be able to depend upon uh, their conscript army and it fell apart in two or three days. And the North Koreans have the same view of their conscript army, that it would fall apart. And so that's another reason that they're focusing more and more for what they see as their defense purposes uh, on developing the nuclear weapon, because they do not think when it comes down to it, that anybody will, uh, either South Korea or the United States or anybody else, will intervene. Their view is, whether it's right or wrong, that while they have a developing nuclear program, that nobody will militarily intervene in their country. The problem is, of course, that sometimes wars start by accident. When you've got military developments on all in the Korean Peninsula, it makes it a very, very dangerous place indeed.
0: Mm. So some people have argued that US support for Ukraine has emboldened Russian assistance to North Korea. Uh, and Russia has allegedly proposed a trilateral Russia, China and North Korea naval exercise. Um, will emboldened uh, US support for Ukraine uh, push a trilateral between China, Russia and North Korea together more? Um, what do you think North Korea's reaction is to all of this?
1: Well, I'm sure North Korea, the North Korean leadership would be very happy to be considered on an equal par with China and Russia. Uh, but. And, and your, your question is right to point out that Russia is and Mr. Putin are flailing around to look for diplomatic partners. But China is not. Uh, and China certainly doesn't consider the DPRK to be on an equal footing with China either diplomatically or militarily. Um, and so it's difficult to conceive that China uh, would have joint exercises with Russia in any significant way. Never mind joint exercises with Russia uh, and with the DPRK. And although it's it's important to look at Russia DPRK relations, the big player in Northeast Asia, as far as the DPRK is concerned, is not Russia, but is China. And in China's international relations, as we've seen, as we've seen with the recent slight warming of relationships with the United States, the visit of um, Chuck Schumer uh, to China, and other official American delegations, the uh, the um, Careful statements made by China, both on the Hamas Israel war and on Ukraine. China doesn't look like it's in a rush to uh, take overt sides uh, in any um, uh, bilateral bifurcation of relationships between an eastern bloc of Russia, China, and anybody else, and the US and Europe. It looks, and this is partly for economic reasons. China's growth is slowing. It still uh, relies considerably uh, on exports to to the to the wider world. Uh, it doesn't look that that would be something that China would enter into uh, at all. Uh, I can't I can't see any mileage for China to do this, it's, it, even in the wider Ukraine relationship. Although President Xi is meeting. With President Putin, there's no sign that uh, that President Xi wants to wants to become active in the Ukraine, either diplomatically or, or certainly not militarily in the Ukraine dispute. But certainly there are major incentives for DPRK North Korea, uh, if if uh, to to enter into some form of diplomatic military relationship, which would see them taken more seriously. Uh, but given the shifting sands in uh, geostrategic relationships, uh, uh, in now and perhaps for the foreseeable future, that seems to be more aspirational and a reflection of Mr. Putin's uh, view that he he needs to consolidate diplomatic relations wherever he can go. And remember, it wasn't very long ago uh, that Russia was was not, uh, although they had formal political relations with the DPRK, uh, they were never massive advocates of of any of the Kim leaderships. So they were always cautious. Uh, and, and thought that they were they were not managing their their country very well, so this I think is a transactional relationship that, that Mr Putin would like to pursue. It doesn't reflect a, a meeting of ideologies. It doesn't reflect even a a meeting of uh, uh, really a, perhaps even not a, 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 a meeting of political minds on this.
0: Now, going back to Russia's assistance to North Korea um, and possible North Korean munitions exchange to Russia, uh, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said that North Korea will pay a price if it provides any weapons to Russia to use in Ukraine. He didn't say what that means, uh, but given that North Korea is already under a comprehensive sanctions regime, what, what does it mean to make North Korea pay a price?
1: Well, as we talked earlier, it's, it's very difficult to see that. There aren't that many levers that the US has bilaterally. And first of all, because uh, North Korea is bordered by China and Russia. So the US doesn't have economic relationships, it never did uh, with North Korea. So it doesn't have econ- economic leverage apart from the UN system, uh, which, which um, it's exerting pretty fully right now on export and imports, on shipping on North Korean workers going abroad. uh, It's difficult to see how those economic sanctions could be expanded, especially because politically China and Russia show uh, no inclination to be going ahead with expanded sanctions within the UN. Um, It is possible that um, diplomatically, the US could perhaps discourage Western European diplomats from going back into North Korea There's some diplomatic, if North Korea welcomes them there. But historically, the Western European diplomats in North Korea, like the Swedes, the Germans, the British, have provided a conduit of information to the US. And not necessarily big secrets, but just a conduit of information about about how life's going on in North Korea. So that itself would be uh, disadvantageous to, to the US because it would lose Given that the uh, the Western European diplomats go back into North Korea, it would lose those sources of information, and it wouldn't necessarily keep out uh, diplomats, for instance, from India and, and from South Asia, who who also had had bases in North Korea. So it is difficult to see how that those expanded uh, pressures on North Korea would take place. Um, all US administrations, Democrat, Republicans of all stripes have considered at the beginning of their administrations whether the military force could be used against North Korea and have all rejected it uh, for the reasons that they think that there would be too many casualties in South Korea and too many casualties in America, even though the, the war would likely be be won by the United States and South Korea were they to enter into war. So if you don't have the ability to use force. Or, and if you don't have, if you've maxed out your economic instruments, it's very difficult to see what other instruments can be used. So then we're in the, when then we're in the, paradoxically in the ball game of thinking, what incentives can we use to bring North Korea back into a diplomatic process? Um, As has happened historically during the Clinton administration, even during the second George Bush administration, And when there were quite substantial moves by the United States to engage with North Korea. And it may be that um, if President Yoon, through the expansion of military exercises and uh, embedding the security relationship with the United States, uh, feels that South Korea is now more secure than it was when he came into office, it may be that the paradox might be that there might be some room for diplomacy, some space for diplomacy. Uh, with the DPRK. And of course, that will depend on whether the DPRK is prepared to engage as well.
0: The the Sunshine policy, for example, has had some considerable success for engagement with North Korea. Right. Now, Rudiger Frank argues that through adopting an aggressive stance of containment towards North Korea, the West essentially failed to support reformers, which might have existed within uh, North Korea. What do you make of this? Uh, you know, do, Does increasing sanctions uh, essentially... Squash, any chance of reform for North Korea?
1: I'm, I'm not sure that there were any avid political reformers in the North Korean elite, but there were and are pragmatists. And there were those who were benefiting from marketization uh, in the North Korean elite. Uh, do, there was the development of private companies, large private, private companies, which had members of the elite associated with them on their boards. And through the development of marketization, both at home and abroad, by that I mean that there was more uh, semi-private trade between these big wholesalers um, abroad, mainly with China, but also with Southeast Asia as well. And by the development of small retail trade domestically, uh, you were seeing spaces open up, which the government didn't control. Private decision-making spaces. If people don't have to get their food and goods from a government source, um, they can. And markets in North Korea are not, are not just about the big market buildings. They're about systems of transactions. So you can go into an apartment block, and there might be somebody who's willing to buy or sell, swap cigarettes or clothes or fruit, or, and that all goes takes place off the books. All that is expanding the sphere of non-governmental involvement in decision-making. It only sounds minor. But that uh, if that developed and there were interests developing to uh, allow that to continue by interest development, the elites were benefiting financially and economically from this, that could have meant a push internally for more official marketization as opposed to semi-official marketization. So in the sense of the sanctions crushing that development. I think Rudiger's got a point um, in, in that what the sanctions did is that they enabled the DPRK government and pushed that to take control over all the economic resources that were left available within the state. And that was enhanced by their, their COVID closures of the border in 2020. Um, in their their excuses, they were rationalizing distribution so that they could distribute whatever resources were available uh, to whatever sectors they felt. Needed them, whether it's food in Pyongyang or to the military. Uh, but in doing so, they tried to. We don't know yet whether how, t- to what extent they've succeeded. We, we just don't know that yet. But we know that they've tried to uh, cut back on the market, and by doing that, by by expanding, trying to re-expand state control. Rudiger's right uh, in that any hints that pushes from below to allow economic reform and then following on that political reform, or at least some reform in civil liberties or civil space as has happened in China or had happened before President Xi came to power, uh, then those developments are stopped by sanctions. They're, they're absolutely stopped. Uh, and I, where I would slightly diverge is that, um, that there, as I said, there, there really is no sense that there is a, a wide current for say democratization or privatization uh, or political reform uh, by itself, but some of the elite pragmatically w- would like to see change in order to, because they can see that that helps develop the economy, sorts out the food problem if people can can buy and sell themselves.
0: So in, in your research, you, you've argued that there's no formal roadmap as to how sanctions will lead to denuclearization. Yeah. Um, given that, uh, In order to continue providing aid to North Korea, um, obstacles would include North Korea's closure to the world. Is North Korea receptive to receiving aid, uh, aid that comes outside of sanctions?
1: Um, Well, clearly it's going for food aid from China and Russia. Um, But the sorts of aid that it had benefited from during the... 2000s and the 2010s were, uh, were were significantly medical aid from World Health Organization, from GAVI, from the all the World Vaccine Alliances. And it will want to reintroduce that as soon as it possibly can. Uh, in some countries in the world and in North Korea right now, there are some aid programs that are operating. They're, they're managed by national officers. That's not unusual in areas where there are wars on where, where international officers simply can't go, in Afghanistan, in parts of Syria, in parts of Congo. Um, and it would hope to be able to at least benefit in the medical sector uh, by continuing UN programs, not necessarily with national officers. Whether the UN will go along with that is hard to say. They would pre- prefer not to. So North Korea will be receptive to receiving aid. Its it's medical sectors, for instance, cannot reinvigorate themselves without massive vaccine assistance uh, from international organisations. How it will do that remains to be seen. It's still an open question as to whether international officials from the UN, who lived and worked in North Korea for 25 years, from the mid-1990s until 2020, were established there, had offices there. People lived there for years. I mean, I lived there for a couple of years with WFP. Whether that will be allowed to grow again, it will depend what the North Koreans see of the incentives. Uh, their vaccination program, which was actually one of the best in the world in terms of coverage for childhood vaccinations. In fact, at one point, their measles vaccination coverage was better than in the States. Uh, it has been decimated uh, over the last few years. Uh, so they they may be looking to, and I don't want to speculate, but if the if they still have email relationships with uh, with some of the UN humanitarian organisations, they will be wanting to look at aid because they know that they they can't operate on their own in these made with these major programmes. How that will happen, we still don't know.
0: Do you think in any way uh, North Korea's opening to the world after COVID would model China's? Uh, reform and opening from prior periods, uh, North Korea has expressed interest in special econ- economic zones. Um, what would it model?
1: Yeah, North Korea's special economic zones develop, have developed in a completely different way from China's special economic zones. China's special economic zones, for instance, the first ones uh, uh, near the Hong, relatively near the Guangdong near the Hong Kong border, really developed as semi-open places where trade could take place. North Korea's established special economic zones, Rajin Songbong, for instance, uh, with the opposite mentality, it's wanted to fence them off, move North Koreans out of physically move them out. In the Sinuiju, which is uh, borders, um, the, is on the North Korea's northwest and borders China on the western side, it had a plan to physically move large numbers, thousands of Sinuiju residents away from that zone, so it could police activity. That took place international activity in those zones. Well, that isn't how special economic zones achieve growth. They achieve growth because there's knock-on effects, introduction of international companies, they mix with local companies, they generate development, domestic economic development, and they have feedback linkages into the wider economy. And North Korea's idea was that there would be no feedback linkages uh, because their, their political priorities were to keep North Koreans separate from foreigners. Um, so I don't think that the special economic zones are going to be, a, 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 the way the North Koreans envisage them right now, uh, are going to be provide a way forward to economic growth for North Korea. What looks more likely is that Chinese economic investment, for instance, in North Korea's agricultural sector, in the farming sector, or even Russian economic investment in the farming sector, which may have been on the agenda at the Putin Kim summit because there was big agricultural firms there uh, that may uh, allow for investment foreign investment Chinese and Russian foreign investment in North Korea with some form of deal which would allow some sort of returns for Russian and Chinese investors it's china is a is a large country was able to control politically its uh, opening up and reform. So that although the civil space for individuals expanded, the security apparatus was able to, and we've seen this, able to move into those civil spaces when the Chinese government felt politically threatened. The reason North Korea hasn't gone for the Chinese approach so far is it doesn't believe that its security forces can be relied on. Because everybody's so poor. Um, and we saw that in marketization. It was the security forces and middle-level party officials and low-level party officials that were benefiting from illegal gray area marketization because, because their families were, were not protected. They didn't receive food. They didn't receive income. And so they had massive incentives to keep marketization going. Um, so the North Korean government is not confident that it can politically... Control the population uh, if uh, the an economic the so-called uh, opening up that China took place uh, that happened in China takes place in North Korea because as soon as there's uh, an influx of ideas and newspapers and books and videos and information uh, into North Korea as happened in China, um, the North Koreans will be able to see very quickly that everything that they've been told is a lie. Whereas in China, there was sufficient um, national pride and national confidence in what had taken place in China, despite the cultural revolution, despite the horrors of the famine years, uh, to to maintain a social stability um, in the country. And that's different in North Korea. It's much poorer, much less confident as a political entity. Um, And the population is uh, not necessarily going to find that, who knows, I mean, again, I'm I'm very, very reluctant to speculate um, that the North Korean government cannot be confident that the North Korean people uh, will still think the North Korean government is a good government or even a patriotic government, which is the view that the North Korean government puts forward to its population after they receive, start to receive free-flowing information from the outside, which has happened in China.
0: It's all very interesting about how this will play out well. Uh, Professor Smith, I have a final question for you, which is essentially, uh, how do you think the United States government or the Korean government should approach dealing uh, with North Korea moving forward?
1: Well, I think it's, it's a difficult position for the US government because uh, there's domestic elections which take up a lot of bandwidth, as the saying used to be. There's the the war in Ukraine, and there's recently, of course, the Hamas war with Israel. These are these are taking up all the political space in in North Korea, in in, in, in international relations, in the United States, and North Korea is not a priority in, in that. In, it, it, from the U.S. government's perspective, it's 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 not a good situation. That's happening in North Korea, but it seems to be managed. Personally, I think that the the uh, things can happen, as we saw in Israel, uh, when conflicts that are that are ongoing for a long time are not proactively handled. So that's the danger for the U.S. government in terms of uh, just letting things lie. But the South Korean government, President Yoon, has taken a firm view that South Korean security uh, is a top priority. And he's engaged in that with Japan, with the United States, and military exercises, but also coordination. Um, and uh, very understandably has, has taken that position. The question is now whether there is this space in the United States and the willingness uh, in the United States and, and South Korea to offer some form of Uh, economic and diplomatic solution to the problem with North Korea? Now, of course, the answer is North Korea is always recalcitrant and not appreciative of uh, any diplomatic overtures that are ever made to it. And that's true. But then if we were dealing with a different government, we wouldn't have a problem. So (laughs) the question is um, whether or not a plan can, can, can take place, which would be Offer realistic incentives to the North, to, to the DPRK government, to move forward with diplomacy, and which would also wish which the current government in South Korea and the administration of the United States would be able to feel that they could get behind, and whether there's really enough uh, enough political uh, in political wish to do that right now. And also, of course, if, if if either government, the US and South Korea, starts to move towards some form of diplomatic solution, because South Korea and the United States are democracies, they have to bring people with them. And so dealing, as we know, historically, when the United States is engaged in diplomatic overtures with North Korea, it's aroused concern uh, within the US domestic politics. And so it's not just an issue of foreign policy, but it's an issue of, Who, whomsoever would be involved in that, in bringing U.S. political opinion with it? So there's a lot of variables. But again, what the Israel, what the Hamas-Israel war should perhaps teach us is that festering conflicts don't go away, and they can have a rebound effect, even on countries that are a lot, lot further away uh, in in geographical space um, than, than we might have anticipated.
0: Well, uh, Professor Smith, your insights have been illuminating today and there will be a lot to discuss in the future, I'm sure of it. Uh, So thank you for speaking with us today and uh, we really appreciate you being here.
1: And I really would like to thank KEI for inviting me and thank you. I appreciate your
0: time. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more Korea content, keep an eye on our podcast feed.